Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I talk to creative people about how they do their thing, how they keep it going. This week, my guest is a returning champion. He's been on the podcast before, but he's got a new play, and I wanted to talk to him all about it. It's Del Shores, who you know from Sorted Lives fame and Diane, Daddy's Diane, who, who's got the will, um, and many other plays. He's got a new play that he's doing called Six Characters in Search of a Play, and he is the sole performer in it. So he's taking that to Texas first in the next few weeks, and then he's going to be in Los Angeles opening at the celebration on February 25th. So I talked to Dell all about that, and he also takes some uh, questions from the observation deck, and he always has great stories. So uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to him. Before we get to the interview, I want to get a mention in for my new side business, LifeCast by Dennis Hensley. It's where I interview people about their lives, and it's kind of like a podcast, but I add in their favorite music. So it it becomes sort of like this cool collage audio heirloom thing. I think it's a great gift for somebody if they're celebrating a landmark birthday or maybe it's your parents are having their 50th wedding anniversary or something like that. Um, I've just been launching it a few months ago and I'm already finding lots of different um, types of of, uh, clients and settings where it's, it's a really cool thing. I'm doing a friend's wedding soon. I'm going to be at the uh, reception interviewing all the guests and then editing it together into something really special that they can share like a podcast. So uh, if you're interested in that, go to getalifecast.com. And I'm also going to be doing them in New York, um, February 14th through the 20th. So if you have somebody in that area, uh, let's set up an interview and make it happen. All right. I also want to get a plug in for the mismatch game coming back to the LA gay and lesbian center, Redenburg theater. It's on February 2nd and 3rd. We have an amazing lineup of talent coming on those two days. And you could learn more about that at, uh, uh, my Facebook page for Dennis Hensley's the mismatch game. All right. Um, I guess that's about it. If you like what you hear and you want to kick a little in to help me keep the podcast free and pay for the expenses that come up, you can do that at DennisAnyone.net. You can also see photos that go with different podcasts and email me and lots of other fun stuff. You could buy an observation deck of your own. Um, You can do that at DennisAnyone.net. And um, I think that's enough. So uh, without any further ado, here is Del Short. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the home of today's guest. We've got a beautiful view of the Hollywood Hills. I'm here with Del Shores. Hello. Playwright, filmmaker, uh, stand-up comedian. Uh, now you're doing a one-man play. Trump hater. Trump hater. That's a full-time <laughs> job in itself. It's a good day. It's, it's, it's a good it's day. The anniver- we are recording this on his first year anniversary. Yeah. Where he shut the government down. Government shut He's down. Doing a great job. Yeah, I'm su- I'm supportive of the Democrats uh, holding their ground on this government I shutdown. Am too. I am DACA too. DACA or bust. We could we could we could go on, but yeah. you know they're holding six hundred and ninety thousand dreamers as hostage. Yeah, that's what the Republicans are doing and trying to blame. Trying the, to blame us, and they come out I and they do their the, thing. But anyway, by the time I call you it hear the this, shithole like, shutdown. <laughs> exactly. I like it. I like it. Um, you've got a new play. I do, it's, and you're the star. I am it. You're I'm the it. only thing. I, I, you know, this. If if you look at my my body of plays, I've written uh, seven plays, right? And this would be my eighth play, and it's just me. So I don't know if anybody else will be doing this play except me. But I'm loving. I'm loving doing this. It's it's a lot of work, but I'm really loving it. Now you're getting ready to go perform it in Dallas, and you come back and do it here in Los Angeles. Have you performed it yet? I did. I I performed it in uh, Palm Springs for okay. Outlandish Palm Springs. 
Springs, uh, October 28th. Right. And then I did a benefit up in Oregon. But what we have done since, Emerson Collins, uh, right. producing guest of the podcast. Who I always direct. Now yeah. he is directing me. Uh, he's really been hard on me. He has making me separate these characters. And, you know, when you do stand-up, you kind of just... You could throw it away a little yes, bit. Right. And, and, and the one thing that I wanted to do with this is I wanted to really treat it with the respect that I make people treat my own place right. with. And uh, I, I, I just screwed myself because Emerson... I have directed Emerson many times in my plays and my movies. And Emerson is so smart that he says every word as written. And that's my demand when I'm a director. As a playwright. As a playwright and as a director of my plays, there's a point in the play, in the rehearsal process where I literally make the stage manager sit with the script right. and highlight every word that is missed and gives it to the actors after so they kind of get into a competition. Right. Well, now Emerson's doing that to me. See, now my, uh, Turnabout is fair play. Yeah, and I write very messy. I right. mean, you know, my, my characters just you know talk shit right so they're all over the place <laughs> and it's very difficult to memorize even if you've written it uh well see there you go now you know what it's like what's the name of the play it's six it's characters. called six characters in search of a play and it's a riff on the the title is a riff on the uh classic luigi pirandello play six characters in search of an author right and the premise is basically this i have always said that i am not really a writer i'm just a thief Right. I observe people. I stole my mother's family and daddy's dying. Who's got the will? A, 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 another variation of my family in uh, sordid lives. And I just observe, I, you know, Peanut and Odette in Southern right. Baptist Sissies. I saw them at the Oasis one night. Right. And I build characters off of these encounters. So the premise of this is there are six characters that are waiting in the wings that I have met that have inspired me, have, will inspire characters, right. but I haven't really found a place for them in my plays, TV, or film work. Yeah, they've yet. been in the dugout. They've, yeah, they're, they're, they're sitting there waiting. So you get a peek at them first. And it, early in the play, I say, and someday you're going to be watching something that I've written, and you're going to go, oh, my God, Del Shores was telling the truth. Right. Well. You know, who my the, version of the truth. Okay, so break it down. Who are the six characters? Well, there's Sarah, right. who is the elderly actress who is determined to smoke and drink herself to death uh, before Trump is elected. Right. And that is based on the late, great Sarah Hunley, who played Juanita. Right. And uh, I, I love that character so much because she was my friend, and I, she, was, she was truly my family. And I miss her dreadfully, so I get to return to her. Right. And, and, and you, you kind of get to pay homage to her. I do. In and, a way. And you know the great thing, I don't feel guilty about it at all because before I, there was, she told me this story one time, and I said, Sarah, I have a confession to make. Right. I have been talking about you in my stand-up shows, and she said, Well, you know, she takes that. She's always smoking. She goes, Well, right. Dale, if you can. Uh, make money and uh, make people laugh by talking shit about me, then do it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I, I feel I feel okay about right. 
doing do that. you do do different voices and characterizations and mannerisms come naturally to you they do they oh, do because I, I sort of channel the people that 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 right. that inspired them and then uh, I've had one little trouble one, one the next one the character number two yeah. is Marsha this monkey hating lesbian with COPD right and I met this woman in Houston at a bar she's just a crazy sorted lives right man. and there, it's this ridiculous story that truly happened to me where a couple of a gay couple brought a monkey to my meet and greet right because they claimed that this monkey was they have three monk they had three monkeys but this monkey cody was the biggest fan so he got to come and right. meet del shores Right, he and was the most devoted. <laughs> yes, and, and you know, yeah. the monkey. And he has his favorite plays. There's he, some that he's, you he know, loves Brother Boy. He just <laughs> yeah. screams and ho- he said he just screams and hollers when he sees Brother Boy. What? And so, Marsha, what are you doing when they walk up with this monkey and tell you this story? Well, I'm like, well, I'm just like, oh my god, I've crossed over into the animal kingdom. That's I've kind got of fans amazing. that are animals now. Yeah. And did and, you hold the monkey? Well, yes, I have pictures. I would that, love to hold the monkey. That, I think. Well, I, this monkey. This monkey, I, I don't want to give too much away, but right. I'm scared of monkeys because right. when I was a kid, my friend Shirley, who lived two doors down, had this mail order spider monkey called Bunky, and she would walk this monkey on a leash and it would jump on me and bite me. That's not and cool. So I mean, you learn after when you see Bunky coming, right. you run. Curb so that monkey. They said, "Oh, you know, Cody's never bitten anybody." Well, that. Fucking monkey ended up biting me at the meet and greet. Yes, and, and blood, at your own meet and, and greet. My, own, the, my monkey fan bit me. So <laughs> Marsha, this lovely lesbian who loved me with uh, COPD, right. became my nurse. And yeah. she was worried that I was going to get sepsis and that I was going to die. And I mean, it was very dramatic. So I, I acted out, and you know, Marsha. The problem with Marsha... So Marsha was another fan that was there. She's the second character in the yes. play. Yeah. And so she's like... So it's it's like, Dale fucking Shores. <gasps> I mean, you know, yeah. it's, the, the breaths, because she's got a tube up her nose. Right. So it's it was really finding that sort of... Uh, and maybe it was because it's a little difficult for me to channel masculine energy. Yeah, right. <laughs> so know. she's number two. I love that. And then does num- she know she's in the no, play? No, she does not. Yeah. I, 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 I think she would be okay. Right. Because it really, I, I love her. I loved her so much. And do she, you tell the whole monkey story in the play? I tell the whole monkey story. That's awesome. So that's basically that's what I do in the play is I tell how I met these characters. And right. then I act out the scenes that okay. will hopefully be in something someday and so uh the next character is actually i've uh, it's a little bit of a cheat because my mother that's my mom right there the pictures of lovely my uh my mother has inspired not only one but two characters in my work she was lurleen and daddy's dying who's got the right girl. and then she was latrell in sorted lives right but there's a period of my mother's life where she became a different person at the end of her life Two years before she passed away, right. she went crazy. I mean, certifiably, wow. completely crazy, where she was in the mental ward. And I, it's, it's tragically funny. And I've never talked about it, it for a few reasons. Um, first of all, my mother was a very proud person. Right. I always thought it would be a sense of betrayal. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I admit that my mother uh, had fried her brain with opiates... Yeah, and you know, and I've been watching and seeing so much about this opiate addiction in our our country, right? And one of the the, the a reaffirming um, 
thing happened in Palm Springs. Uh, this guy came up to me afterwards and he said, I'm so thankful that you shared your mother's story with us because my mom also died of opiate addiction and it's so shameful. And right. And you, you don't hear shameful for us. And that's the other reason. I you don't hear stories it. about it. You hear the statistics, but you do, there's no faces to it. There's no, no. in the media, in terms of the coverage, there's no. Yeah. Well, you know, in my, in my family, uh, a lot of the women had some pill problems. Right. And there was – my mother had rheumatoid arthritis, so there was justification for taking the pain pills. Right. So for years, she was masking this pain. And unbeknownst to us, we didn't really know. We thought, and my mom was so controlling and so smart. Right. And so manipulative. Uh, I mean, she had a, she's like Tammy Wynette. She had a doctor in every county, right. you know, giving her these opiates. So, uh, and we, this was when, when in terms of your, when you were growing up or, no, or no, later, no, my, it was later. I mean, yeah. I had already written sorted lives. She had actually, she actually got to see the movie sorted lives it had, yeah. right after that. Right. Uh, she passed away in two, I believe in 2003. Right. Maybe. Yeah. It was 14 years ago. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was just a really hard period for me. Yeah. And, um, having to admit that you, you know, this woman that was, it gets me emotional. She was so inspirational to me. I mean, my mother, I am here. I do this because of my mother. She was the drama teacher. Right. She taught me to love Tennessee Williams. She taught me to write. She oh, that's was amazing. so, you know, when, when, when my play Daddy's Dying was published, it was my first play published. Uh, by Samuel French, it truly meant more to her than it did to me. Right, that Samuel French cover. Because if you ever did theater in school or even professionally, you know those script covers. Well, we waited. Every summer, my mother would pretend that I got to help her pick the play. For right. Me. And we would get this big package from Samuel French that she had ordered. Right. And I would just devour them. Oh, that's so, incredible. So, so you know, I was, I've always just been so proud of my mother and, and the contribution that she made to right. my career. And so this was a, a, a deep, dark secret, and I've told a few of my friends. But it, it truly is uh, the hardest piece. Right. To perform in it. That's, so that's character number three. And it's also the most dramatic. Wow. Um, and then number four is, uh, you know, you got to lighten it up. Right. After you go to, you know, yeah. this is, uh, it's funny, but there's, it's also very, very uh, emotional and touching. Right. And uh, I met this redneck in Mississippi named Jimmy at right. a come and go station. Right. And he was, he was scared to death of me when he found out I was gay. Just scared right. to death. And so I, I explained to the audience uh, how when I create, I sometimes play the what-if game. Right. Well, what if he was latent? What if he was actually attracted to me that right. day? And so I created this alter ego a couple of years ago that's on YouTube called Jimmy Dale Watkins right. from Smyrna, Georgia. And he's just basically closeted. And right. Written. So it's a very, very funny monologue that I've written that was inspired by this character, Jimmy. And then... Character number five, uh, my Aunt Sissy passed away a few years ago. Right. When I went to her funeral, I stopped off at uh, Mama's Daughter's in uh, – it's a diner right okay. in the middle of Texas where if you just landed there, you wouldn't know where you, you – you wouldn't know what decade you right. were in. You the time know. stand still. And there was this waitress named Wyvonne 
<laughs> who, and I took, took my friend Kristen, who was a pescatarian, who right. was just trying to find one item on the menu to order that would not violate her dietary right. restrictions. That's and tough. And Yvonne was not having it. Yeah. She had no more fucks to give. And right. So it's truly so much fun to perform Yvonne. Right. I love that. Like, well, do you eat meat? Uh, well, this is not the right restaurant for you. You know, just and very bleached blonde hair, my kind of girl. Yeah, I mean, what? Like, it just fought, I fell in love with her in the first five minutes. Did your friend find anything to eat? She finally ate just this little dollop of tuna. <laughs> <laughs> That's all she could eat. Because, right. like, here, okay. So she says, "Oh, she goes, why Vaughn? Uh Which there was this whole thing before. Where I called her Yvonne, right? Yvonne, because right. that's what Yvonne. Yeah, and she said, "This is a Y, <laughs> right? This is Yvonne." Okay. I go, oh, okay. I'm sorry, a lot of people who have that spelling they pronounce yeah. their names Yvonne. Right. And she goes really because this is a Y, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I was already. So you're like, I'm, 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 I'm in with the Y. Would you find yourself? Talking to her more than you probably needed to, just to get and going back. Her story I went back. I yeah. went back trying to find <laughs> you were like her with a notebook just going to get more. Yeah, but uh, Kristen, uh, who you saw actually, uh, she was the lead in Yellow. My play. Oh Yellow. yeah, terrific. And she she said, um, "Why, Vaughn? Uh, do the green this cracks me up?" She said, do, "Do the green beans have any meat in them?" And she her, this was her reply. Well, yes, honey, they are green beans. <laughs> Like, yeah, like according they to they have her, the green bean meat in them, bacon attached at the bottom. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's so, so funny. And then the final character is Aunt Bobby Sue. After I went to that diner, I traveled on to Winters, Texas. And okay, I saw an aunt I had not seen for forty years. Wow, because my my uncle Humpty divorced her. Right, and she's now seventy eight, and she was my life when I was a kid. I mean, you know, oh. because my mother called her a loudmouth whatnot who is nothing but cheap common trash. Right, and I love and, whatnot. A whatnot. I don't even know what that means. No, a there, there's, there's two. Whatnot. Yeah, whatnot is what you say when the other words are just too just no, she vile or something. She, yeah, and so Aunt Bobby Sue, real loud and just kind of a racist republican with a heart of gold and right but my mother could not stand her and i always in my, my in the play i go anybody anybody my mother called cheap common or trash always my favorites right aunt bobby sue had all three words right <laughs> I mean, that is, that's amazing what was it so, like when you reconnected with her after all that time it was amazing i mean you know and she was trying so hard to be okay with me being gay. She, Did she know about your work and what you'd she, achieved? I don't know that. I know she had seen Daddy's Dying, Who's right. Got the Will, and then she asked me if I would send me her my stand-up DVDs. Right. And I thought, oh, honey, you're not ready for these. No, exactly. <laughs> you are not ready for these. Right. And I'm a little bit worried. I go, oh, my goodness, because my cousins will come see this. And right. She's true. But, I, you know, here's the deal. My Aunt Rita, who has passed away, who was the real Evelita in Daddy's Dying, who's yeah. got the will, she got very upset at me after Daddy's Dying, the movie came out. Because she said, you know, you made me an alcoholic. You made me, you right. know, and you made me wear that same outfit three days in a row. And <laughs> right. I, and that was her biggest complaint. Yeah. And I said, you don't understand. Finally, when we reconnected, it's like seven years, she didn't speak to me. Right. 
And I said, Aunt Rita, you don't understand something. You were my inspiration as a kid. I wanted to be you. I wanted to be the baton twirler. I wanted to be that singer in clubs that smoked and cussed and said, God damn and fuck. And then yeah. said, oh, excuse me. Excuse my French. You know, right. I wanted to be you. So I was Beverly D'Angelo's character in Daddy's Dying. Right. What a celebration. Right. And she said, well, that's not the way I see it. I mean, she <laughs> right. Is, she, was, she didn't buy it? She didn't quite buy it? No, she didn't go for that explanation. Yeah. But that's the same thing with my Aunt Bobby Sue. My God, I just, I lived for going to see my Aunt Bobby Sue. When right. Because she cussed and she was smoking and she had that bleached hair that was styled like Bobby Gentry's. You right. Know? Everybody else had a beehive, but Aunt Bobby Sue had hers teased within an inch of its life and then it went down back past her shoulders oh yeah all and she wore these little tight capri pants had a just a darling figure yes and real high hooker heels right you know that she had bedazzled rhinestones on she was such a character did the other people in your family like her well um they they it was always well here comes bobby sue right you know i mean she was she was was always real loud yeah um, but very pretty, but very made up, right? Like false eyelashes in the daytime. And I, I, there's a, a line in the play. I said, I never saw makeup like that again until I came out and started going to drag shows. Right. <laughs> so That's you can it. imagine. Yeah. Like everybody else had one color of eyeshadow. Yeah. But Bobby Sue would blend blue and green. I was just fascinated. I would just look at her and go, right. I want to be you. Yeah, that's <laughs> you amazing. Know? So in the play, do they ever interact? Or you you sort of talk about one and do that one, and then it's well, on to the next. they do not interact right. with each other, but I interact with, with them, them. And there are characters within each segment that interact with them. Right. Like there's this one time where I'm talking about my Aunt Sissy and going back to what became the ash spreading ceremony right. because she didn't want a funeral. And she's talking to me and my cousin Tammy at the same time. Right. And so I, you know, Aunt Sissy goes, I do not want a funeral. Right. Where all those hypocrites down at the Southside Baptist Church come and, and act like they like me when they talk shit about me my whole life. <laughs> and then I just want y'all to spread my ashes over Kathy's grave. And that's that was my cousin who committed suicide on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. After decorating the tree. And that my cousin Tammy, her daughter, she says, Well, Nanan, we can't go and spread your ashes over Mama's grave. That's illegal. And I go, well, I'll do it. If I get arrested, I can always use the publicity. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, that, so there's this, you know, and Emerson has, you know, when I did it the first time. Yeah, we're talking times, about Emerson Collins. I just sort of did it. Right. You know, and Emerson has gotten so specific. You have to look here. Right. You're talking to Aunt Sissy. When Aunt Sissy's talking to you, you have to look here. Right. Kathy, you know, Tammy looks over here. So it's, so... Uh, how do you feel as a performer doing, like, that kind of disciplined, okay, this is a different uh, animal than, like, a, like a one-man stand-up show? It's very restrictive at yeah. first, and, and it makes me go into my head. But the more I do it, and I, it's... It's, it's like I, a different muscle, right? It is. It's a completely different muscle. And uh, you've seen my stand-up. I mean, I've performed in your yeah. shows, and 
I just talk shit. Right. And I know what I'm going to talk about, but right. I don't have any particular order, and I react off of the audience. Right. This is more disciplined. And, and I can't do that in this because it's a play. Yeah. I'm not going to be talking right. to people in the audience, you know, unless they misbehave yeah. or something. But, you know, which I'm glad I have that ability. It sounds like the experience of seeing it is like, you know, serious at times and then hilarious at times. Mm. And it, describe the sort of overall journey, I guess, that, that people might expect if they go see it. Well, I, I mean, I hope that first and foremost, I always say I, w- I want to make you laugh. I right. mean, this world's too crazy right now. So right. let's just come in here, forget about what's on the outside right. just for 80 minutes. Right. Let me make you laugh and let me make you think and make you make you feel a yeah. little bit. If you shed a tear or two, that's just a bonus for right. me. Um, but I, I'd like them to go on a journey and get into my head uh, I, 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 I said the other day I was doing an interview in Dallas and I said, you know, it's kind of like a writing workshop as well. Right. It, it, it tells you how I write. Right. And how I I compose these characters and collect right. them. And, and, and you'll see, you know, a little bit of my twisted head. And how did you get the idea to put them together? And, oh, maybe this is a platform for these well, people. I, I will tell you this. I, I went to see Signs of Life. Right at uh, that Ken Sawyer director. Right at, at the Lily Tomlin. Right, right, right. In, at the village. Yeah. The night I was there, Lily was there. And Search Jane for signs of intelligent life. Yeah. And I watched that play, and I remembered my first experience with that play was over here. I believe it was at the Ricardo Maltavan right. Theater, right here on yeah. the line. It used to be the Doolittle. Yes, it that's was the probably Doolittle where I saw it. Then, yeah, and that and. Remember how brilliant Lily was that night, right? And and her ability to make you see these characters with no makeup or wigs or tricks, right? And her space work was so incredible. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I could write a show that because I there were these characters that I kept collecting, and I go, where's Yvonne? Yvonne's yeah. got to be a waitress in some. Thing that I, I do right. someday, and one day I was just you know I was probably stoned. I, sometimes I get good <laughs> ideas when I'm stoned. <laughs> right. I I just I, I was thinking about that, and then I and then Emerson Collins and you know uh, uh, Tolan's play right. Michael Yuri did uh, Buyer and Seller. Right. Uh, I, I was so impressed with that play, and I saw Michael do it, and then I saw Emerson do it. Right. And the. I, I just thought, you know, it's something that I would like to tackle instead right. of just. Uh, I've done I've done four stand up tours, so right. I wanted to go out and and do this and kind of honor where I started, right? Because I started in these little tiny theaters, and there's so many of them. And I was, you know, look, I've got I don't know where it is, but there's a list right here. I literally went to. My Samuel French page right. uh, that they, they give the artist. And I, I just looked at all the theaters that had done my work. And I picked cities that made sense. And then I started contacting them. That's amazing and to come and do your, your – To return to where they've honored my work. Yeah. And I come in on their off night. Right. Or their off nights. So I'm doing, um, you know, I'm doing four shows in Dallas. Uh, then I go down to Austin, do a show, go to San Antonio, do a show, come and do one in Fort Worth and go up to 
Tulsa and Oklahoma City, do three shows up there. And then I come back and do the celebration run. Yeah. And I'm going to San Francisco to the new conservatory that's done so many of my plays. That's and awesome. I'm doing five shows up there during their Pride series. Well, they must be so thrilled when they hear from you. Like, they're so sweet. Yeah. Because they're somebody, they obviously like your work or they wouldn't be doing it. And yeah. then it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, you just reached out to us. And only, you know, only one actually. I mean, I've booked these without right. taking a big gamble. Right. I, I, you know, I could just come up and stink up the whole town. <laughs> but, uh, but one asked me for the script and I yeah. sent it and immediately they said yes. But uh, I don't, you know, I don't have it on tape or anything. Yeah. They just have to trust that it's going to land. But the great thing about it is because it honors theater, it can be done on any stage. Right. And you can literally just push the furniture back. Right. on the current and put give me three chairs and a desk. That's all I need. Right. And I have an easel like this. Right. Several pictures that I showed you. Oh, the, nice. You know, I love my mother. That picture is in the show. What's the most emotional part for you? My mom. Yeah. I mean. Where is she in the order? She's in the middle. Yeah. She's right in the middle. Um, she, there, there's a, I, t- I talk about when I was sitting with her. And the, the last conversation I ever had with her. Oh, wow. And it was a really poignant. It Did you was, have a feeling it might be the last? I, I didn't know it would be the last time that she was coherent enough. Right. Because she was in and out of basically insanity. Right. I mean, she was, th- you know, she, the, the, it's in the play. She, she looked at me and she said, Delford, that's my real name. She goes, I don't know what's real and what's not anymore. And it was just heartbreaking because my mother was brilliant. Right. Brilliant, creative, funny, wicked. You know, I describe her many times lovingly as a loving, controlling bitch. Right. And uh, it was just heartbreaking to see not, not the... Not so much that she had gone crazy, but that she was aware of it. That she knew it. Right. That's... Yeah. Like I've known a few crazy people, and they like I was going down um, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard right. a couple of days ago, just walking, and there was this um, homeless woman right. who had just—I think she had found a makeup kit, right. and she had just put on way too much makeup and done her hair a little bit, pushing a shopping cart, and just singing and happy. And I said hello, and she goes hello to you. <laughs> and I thought, Jesus, God, if I could go crazy and be that happy, I'd be okay. Right. She's got you something. Know? But that my mother was conflicted. She knew it. You know. Yeah. Where were you? Were you in a hospital or were you at her home? Or? In a hospital. I had, I was doing a movie in Australia with Olivia Newton-John right. and Susie Kurtz and Robert Louis Stevenson, who starred in Sissies. And uh, my mother had been – she – uh, she basically had my dad had given she wanted a gun right which i don't know what my dad was thinking because there were there, i mean we had some signs already right that this was not exactly the right hands to put a lady smith in right and she wanted so he bought her this gun for their 45th wedding anniversary this lady smith and she got mad at him ultimately and tried to shoot him and she got it in her head. He was having an affair with my poor old Aunt Sissy. I mean, just these, you know, severe paranoia and delusions. Right. And um, so we had to take her in for evaluation, and that was it. I mean, wow. they, they put her on the fifth floor. 
Wow. And, you know, that was the crazy ward. And, um, and she never left. Wow. Uh, she, she was there about four or five months. Wow. And uh, are you going to have family come to see the shows when you're in Texas? Um, my, my cousin... Right. Uh, who's who's actually my cousin. I, I called my cousin, Tammy, the other day, and I said, I really need to read you this because I'm not going to be comfortable with you in the audience because I talk about your your mom's suicide. Right. And I, one, my favorite cousin growing up. And, right. Uh, she, I, I read it to her, and she was just fine. She's been so supportive. And then my nieces and my nephews, my brother's grown children, are all going to come in San Antonio. Yeah. I think my brother will probably need to skip this one. <laughs> wow. I can see it. It's, um, it's, it's hard for him to see my work. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a preacher. How do you feel after, uh, after the curtain call, after the show? Do you feel like you've kind of been through an odyssey? Or are you exhausted? Are you it's, well, fired up? Yes, it is. This, this, I would imagine it's more emotional than doing a, a much, kind of stand-up show. Much more. Yeah. And, you know, and, and with this kind of... I mean, you're a performer. You know, you right. always go, oh, my God, I miss this. I, right. know, I can't reclaim this. And you, you, there's a little of uh, beating myself up. I right. Mean, there's this... Every now and then I'll skip some... Just I think is just a genius part. I go, why did I skip that? That is so funny. Right, you and accidentally that, skipped you it. Just you just didn't make the choice. Yeah, thing. And um, so there, I'm in my head a little bit. But uh, Emerson's been really good about you know the one thing that I always tell my actors is I go, you know, once you land, once you hit the stage, right, don't be in your head anymore. Yeah, just tell the story. Right. If you mess up a little, a few of the words, nobody's going to know. Right. But you, you know, you're, you you strive to get it right, right. But um, I th- there's also an amazing amount of of um, love that you feel from an audience. Because right. Because I always feel you're rewarded, especially as a comedian, by the laughter. Right. And you know, I, both both shows I've done of this, they've stood up and applauded, and you feel. You know, there's nothing wrong with feeling a little bit of dope. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you mentioned the Samuel French thing. It just, I, the first time you saw your play in one, in that Samuel French format, that pastel color with their design, were you just like, oh, there they are? They're the first three right there. Wow. Yeah. How people do your plays around the country. Do you, does somebody call you and say, hey, they want to do it here? How do you find out that's happening? Uh, twice a year, Samuel French gives you a very detailed royalty. Right. Um, and I always say, if nothing else, my my plays uh, have put my children through good school. That's fantastic. And I always tagged my royalties for my kids' education. That's and, what they were for. And it worked out very nicely. You, you, that's and amazing. And you get a check twice a year. Twice a year. A year. And, uh, but I do find out about some of the productions because of the internet these days. I get a Google alert. So I know, you know, that they're doing sorted lives down in Biloxi, Mississippi. Where's the weirdest place they've done one of your plays where you thought, wow, that doesn't seem. Well, there were two last year. Like the obvious place. They did, they did Southern Baptist Sissies in London last year. That's a amazing. Big production, a nice production. I mean, it was truly some of the biggest royalties I've ever received. That's from fantastic. My place, and they had a huge hit with it. And you think, okay, religious damage in the South. Um, right. 
how it's very American. Yeah, it's very American, but they they seem to relate. They did, they did. Uh, I wonder how the accents were. I do too. Yeah, I, they're, I, they're talking about doing some more of my work. because yeah. they had such success. So I really feel like you know after. Uh, touring the country with Sorted Wedding, I got a lot of miles. Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of airline miles. Right. I'd love to go. I'd actually you love go to go. I should hit. You know what? That gave me an idea. There I you should go. hit that theater up and see if they'll, they'll do your show. Let me do this. I wonder how that works for work permits and all that. Um, I, I'd love yeah. to. If yeah. You, if I, you've got miles, go to London and see their do their thing. And I'd love to do this yeah. over there and see how it goes. That's cool. Um, Have they ever done it somewhere I don't know, like a prison or this kind of a school or not that I know of. That'd be fun. Now they've done it. They've done daddy's diet. Right. A lot of, of high schools have done. Yeah. It. And every now and then they'll send me a, a video of it. Right. Or you know a, a video. We don't do videos anymore. But you know what I mean. Like a clip that, or right? something. They'll, and it's so fun to see. Yeah. What I was, a right. high school student performing. That's thrilling. Adults. And remembering what it was like to be in those plays and how much fun that meant for school. And it was like. I don't know. I think that's when that came to life in high school when I was do, performing or in, in those groups and, and all of that stuff. Well, well in 1993, I wrote, I, when I wrote Daughters of the Lone Star State, right. I got this. When I was a kid, we had this thing in Texas called UIL. It's Universal right. Interscholastic League. And we would compete in one-act play. When I, remember, Daddy's Dine's a two-act play. Right. So they got permission from me at this high school, Monday High School in right. Texas, to cut it to a one act, to a forty minute one act. So they can compete in these so things. They could yeah, I, I used to do speech and drama and I remember yes. the one act play competition. So yeah. when I was when I was in high school, we always stalled out at regional and we never went to state. And it broke my heart. Right. When I, I know that feeling. Senior, we almost went to state. We were right. alternate right. to state and we didn't make it. My play Daddy's Dying one state. And so you I, got it. I had done this. You interview want it. You and they. I have the medal in the other room. They yeah. sent me a first place medal. Oh. And so I was rehearsing. I remember this so well because I was rehearsing daughters. And I walk in and I said, I told the story. And right. Carol Cook's there, and I said, she said, well, I thought that play was a, a two act play. And I said, Yeah. Well, they cut it. And she goes, Well, I always thought it was a little long. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. Um, which of your plays has made the most royalties? Uh, Daddy Stein. Who's That's got the, the one. Will. Yeah. And then Sh- Sorted Lives will probably in my lifetime surpass it. That's awesome. Uh, it, Daddy Stein for years because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's cleaner. Right. <laughs> it's not, there's not as much uh, profanity and right. gay subject matter. There you go. And, um, but they are doing Sorted Lives a lot. It yeah. is now overtaken Daddy Stein as the most produced of my, my right. plays. Right. That's wild. Speaking of gay content, um, had you followed this at all? I just was getting alerts uh, from friends. The the Antonio Sabato Jr. is um, running for Congress, no. and I, you know, I co-wrote that movie that he was in Testosterone, the the gay kind right. of dark noir kind of dark comedy thing. And apparently, that is the Republicans are like pointing at that, saying he's not fit to run or whatever. I haven't really read the article. He did a gay movie. He did a gay movie, and he and he posed. He he shows he goes full frontal in it. But Antonio was game for all of it, you know, and he was fun to work with. And I thought he did a good job in that movie. And now it's come back to haunt him. See that again? Yeah, exactly. God, I'm sure if you Google. Antonio uh, Sabato Jr.'s penis, there will be a still photo from that. Well, of course. But he was up for it. He, uh, well, you know, he's mentioned in Sorted Lives yeah. about 
kind of like they, they mentioned when Ty talks about um, having that dream about Ruth Buzzy. So right. Sort of like he had ripped body, kind of like a cross between Antonio Zavato Jr. and Ruth Buzz, but with, with Ruth Buzzy's face or something like that. <laughs> I can't quote myself. So you gave him a shout out. Yeah. And now he's trying to become a Republican um, politician. Oh, so he's Republican. Yes, he's Republican. Well, what the fuck? I know. He was a Trump supporter. I don't understand oh, I don't it. I like that. No, I don't. So, you know. It's like, I yeah. are you having problems with whether to watch Roseanne reboot or not? Well, I watched it before I knew Is her politics. Already? No, I did some interviews for ABC, uh, uh, freelance interviewing right. uh, for the TCA. So they sent me a couple of episodes to How watch. Are they? I loved it. I loved it. And they really take on Jackie and Roseanne are at odds, have been fighting for almost a year when the show resumes because... Um, she, Roseanne's for Trump and Jackie was for Hillary and she's part of the resistance. She's she a had, nasty woman. Yeah. I saw that clip. And she has the, the, the pussy hat on and stuff. So they, they, they reckon with it. But um, I thought the show was really good. I, that show dealt with real stuff. And when wow. you watch it, even the reboot, you're like, oh, wow, no other shows really do that. They, they start with Roseanne and Dan going through their pre- prescriptions and figuring out what they can afford and what they can, and I'll use some of yours. And it's like those kitchen table, like, what are we going to do? That stuff really um, just leapt off the screen uh, when we, we first started watching it. So, yeah, I haven't followed her own politics that much. Well, just go to her Twitter page. Yeah. She's batshit crazy. Yeah. I no. mean, it's not like she's just a Trump supporter. She believes in all these conspiracy yeah. theories. It's ridiculous. I right. mean, she was that whole Pizzagate. She was a big part of, like, perpetuating she thought that, that bullshit. <laughs> that's, what a, so, that's ridiculous. Like, just so, ridiculous stuff. Yeah. So, uh, just, I, you know what? I don't mind arguing with a worthy Republican. Right. Who is, but after a couple of seconds, if someone's not worthy of my mind, and I yeah. don't mean that in an arrogant way, but you right. know, I know my shit. Right. You know, you follow me on. Yeah. I know my shit, and so I could I could debate for your side better right. than you could debate for your side. So don't start with me right. if you're not good. Right. <laughs> if you're not good, don't. Yeah. But I, Roseanne was my favorite show. Yeah, I, I, I think you should it. give Love it a look it. and see because I I felt like it had what the original Roseanne had, and um, Darlene has a son. Who is, I don't know, maybe ten, but very wants to wear skirts and expresses himself oh. as one of those. And the way that's handled is pretty uh, beautiful and interesting and honest. And like they're they're going for it. So I think if you're a fan of the show, you should well, definitely give it a look. I was a huge fan yeah. of the show. Um, so a very sordid wedding. Yeah. You like barnstormed the hell out of that that yeah. that movie and hustled it, and then in, in terms of getting it made, and then touring with it and all of that stuff. When it was all over, did it feel like you know you had just toured the world? And it was it was, was there was it bittersweet? It was bittersweet because Emerson and I were on a plane, you know, sometimes three times a weekend. Yeah, going from one place to another, or you know, you know, like. Loretta and Doolittle in a yeah. car tour going from one with Ann Walker. I remember, oh my God, we had so much fun with Ann Walker. You know, we did the Car- we did Carolina and went to Charlotte, and I just remember Ann Walker doing a Shakespeare monologue in the back seat as we're doing live feeds on Facebook. Oh, and, how fun! And we just had a great time, and so yeah, yeah the, I think when you end anything, right. 
there is a level of depression right. that goes with that. And, and, you know, situational depression. And uh, I was so proud of the movie. I it's mean, so it good. Like, uh, I have to be honest. I was a little upset we didn't get a GLAD nomination a couple of days yesterday. Oh, I, I didn't see made, the GLAD nominations. The, the, you know, I've, I, I've been very fortunate. I've had two GLAD nominations right. in my career. And I really felt like that this movie played so much into what GLAD is all about. Yeah. And we had had. Glad to uh, do the Q and A at one of the screening, the New York screening, and right. not that that, but I, I, the work itself, I thought, yeah, you know, and of course I haven't seen the other ones, and I'm yeah. sure they're all beautifully, uh, you know, and uh, stories that that deserve a nomination as well. But there's something about you know your own, yeah, that that, and we we really. We told a story in Sorted Wedding that has not that, that documented the history right. that happened, and, and it hasn't been done yet. Yeah, you know, just just us. So um, it, it did really well. Yeah, you know? I um the 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 serial killer subplot with Emerson. Yeah. I, at one of the Q and A's, I asked you where that came from because it was so um, bizarre, different, <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> I you know. know it was like I knew I was. I, it was a big risk. Yeah, I knew it was a big risk. Where did it come I, from for me? For it you, just, you know, um, I, I think there was a okay. Let's so be, Emerson's character is a serial killer, and he gets involved with right. Leslie uh, Jordan's brother boy. This is good because it kind of plays into six characters in yeah. search of a play. Um, Leslie Jordan, right, had this one boyfriend who uh, ended up going to prison, right, and had at one point gotten a bow and arrow after Leslie and you know Leslie he he liked the rough trade right so there was a little bit of Leslie's uh, ex that inspired right. my mind to just start going crazy with right. this and uh, okay playing the what if game right I needed to get brother boy out of Longview, Texas. Right. I needed to get him to Dallas. Well, what's the most interest? Oh, well, if I give him, you know, the fascination with rough trade, that drifter, sexy, like, yeah, like in his real life, right? Then, and he wouldn't mind. He doesn't mind me telling this because he's yeah. told it himself and shows. Um, I, and so that's where it all started, and it just snowballed. And then, I, as as I before I I, I conceived it. And then I thought Emerson Collins would be so great for this role. And everybody, I mean, everybody who knew Emerson and me, they were going, Dell, what are you thinking? You know, and then I go, I think he's kind of a brilliant actor. Right. And I knew what he was capable of doing. And I, I didn't, I, you know, in my work, in our work together, I wanted to give Emerson uh, more than just the same role every time. Right. And I knew that this would be not only a challenge for him, but that he would be able just to knock it out of the park. And he did. Yeah. And I, I every single Q and a, not, I don't think there was one Q and a where someone did not talk about how they fell in love with a serial killer. Yeah. There you go. You know, that the serial a lot. killer that touched your heart. Right. It's too bad Kunana already got, you know, he could have done Kunana. Hey, could have been watching? his next. I watched the first one. I did too. Yeah. I was trying to remember. I need to look it up on Wikipedia. I was trying to remember. I, I remember. Do you remember there was like a little bit? Oh, he's in West Hollywood. 
I don't remember that, but there, I do remember this idea of like he's. We don't know where he is. Right. Like, there was a site. Someone had seen him in West yeah. Hollywood, and where did he ultimately? Did he get? I felt up? like he arrested. He, and, well, I'll, we'll have to. I know we'll have to watch. I thought he got shot, or I don't know, or he shot himself. My, I don't know. Uh, my, I can't uh, remember. Daughter goes, Dad. Do you remember um, how long he was on the run? And I said, long enough for nine episodes. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> nine episodes. So now it was sorted with with uh, a very sorted wedding, and a lot of your work. You produce it, you do it yourself, you mount it yourself. There's rarely somebody above giving notes or financers right. giving notes and stuff like that. Um, I, I imagine that you like that idea. Oh, yes. But when – have there been times in your life where you were part of that Sure. That kind of machine and, and did you bristle against it? Or is it sometimes nice to have – to not be doing everything yourself. Look, I mean, I, I surround myself with the people I trust in my own right. stuff. So Emerson was basically the only person who gave me notes. Right. Uh, okay, there was, I, you know, since we're being honest here and it's you, I'll tell you that I originally wrote the character of Aunt Little Niecy right. to be an adult with Down syndrome. Right. And that, you know, when I was growing up, my, we had a neighbor who had Down syndrome, and my grandfather was scared to death of her. Right. And they called her that mongoloid. That's right. That's a horribly politically incorrect term. Right. And so I had her as an adult Down syndrome, and Emerson was the first to say, Dell, I really don't think you should do that. And then it's every actor read it, they go, Dell, <laughs> you know, there, there's this line. <laughs> And you have really crossed it, right. not just a little bit. Yeah. So I, then I, I, right. I rewrote that um, in TV, as right. you know. Right. And you were a, a writer on Queer as Folk and Ned and Stacey, a number of shows. Yeah. Darm and Greg. Um, I went, the, my very first TV gig was with the amazing Gary David Goldberg for Family Ties. Right. He had seen Daddy's Dying on stage, and he, I remember the first time I sat in his office when he hired, the day he hired me to do one, I did one episode. He said, um, I'm going to give you a gift. When you, He said, you come from the theater. Guard those words. Guard that territory that is yours. Always return to it if you're going to work in TV. So you'll know what it's like to always have control of your, your vision. Right. TV is a collaboration. And he said, if you want to accept these checks and they're real good, Dell. Right. He goes, then make peace leave with your that. ego at the door and join our collaboration. And it was truly he, – he truly did give me the best gift that I've ever gotten because from that, from that moment on, wh- whether it was a TV pilot and I did 22 – you know, from in my career, I think I've done like 22 or 23 pilots right. that have sold. Right. And only two or three have been produced. Right. And you get notes along the way. And when we would, when I would write Queer as Folk, uh, Ron and Dan, I mean, I love that show because we just turned in our first draft and then they didn't even give us notes. They just rewrote. Right. I didn't even watch them until they were on the air. Right. Because those checks were really good. Yeah. And um, same thing with Darman and Greg. We, we sat in a room, and Darman and Greg, just like a table like this, they'd put, we'd have an assistant, and we would write them together. Yeah. And so it was just a collaboration. It's just a very different process. And every TV job I ever had, I would keep a, one of my plays sitting on my desk. Really? To remind Just me, to remember that. Just to remind me. I, have, I always have this. this I don't is, need to die on this battlefield. This is, yeah, this is not mine. This is mine. Yeah. You and, keep it on your desk. And then I got, you know, when I did Sorted Life's the series, yeah. I was able because uh, 
it was you know I I was a, I was the executive producer. Yeah, you kind of had both. And I yeah, had, I had a lot of control. That's over good. So, I love that. But I have a TV show in development right now, and I'm willing to listen to other people. Right. I mean, and I have already. Not they have. I haven't gotten a lot of notes on it. Right. But uh, can you say anything about what it's well, it's, about? It's or? A, I can tell a little bit about it. I, yeah. Uh, it's uh, celebrating small town life. And Love we're it. at the place I just teamed up with. Uh, Emerson's producing it with me as well as very, very big. I don't want to disclose that sure. yet. Very big producer here in the in, in TV world. Fantastic. And he loves it. And I, I did it in a, a very different way. I, I wrote four episodes in the entire Bible without ever exposing it to anybody. And then I exposed it. Right. And I had multiple offers. And so I'm, I, I, I plan to return to – after this tour, I want to go – and film somewhere in Tennessee. It's a very this, tiny town. This pilot, yeah, and hopefully it'll get picked up. I hope it's. I hope they pick up the whole series because they're doing that a lot with like Netflix, and yeah. Amazon, and you have this tribe of actors that's very loyal to you and that do your stuff so well, and it's such a great um, marriage in, in, with these actors. Is there another actor out there where you're like, I could write for mm. her? Or him. I have a list. Yeah. I mean, let's just Because there's sometimes I see people and I'm like, oh, she needs to do a Del Shores project. Because, you know what I mean? Because it feels like the marriage. I would die and go to heaven. Right. To work with these three women. Okay. Holly Hunter. Yes. Sissy Spacek. Yes. And Margot Martindale. Yes. Those three women, uh, you know, we all want to work with Meryl. Right. We all, I got to work with Whoopi, you know, but those... Seeing Holly return to the big sick. Yeah. Uh, did you see it? I loved it. I, oh I thought she God. was That's, that scene where she's in the comedy club and she's so ferocious. It's just Holly Hunter is fearless. Right. I mean, that's my kind of actress. And, right. And, and you can tell she's just a little bit crazy. Right. Just a little just, bit crazy. Just the right kind and, and just enough. And I, I you know, my yeah. first movie, Daddy's Dying, uh, Jack Fisk, Sissy Spacek's husband, directed right. it. And I've always been such a fan of Sissy's. And I got right. to know Sissy. And we want to work together. We right. wanted to. And it just never happened. So I've got, you know, in this series, there's a really great role for Holly. So, yeah. Um, and for Margot. So I, I'm hoping to yeah. to grab a Good. Is it more. a comedy or kind of a it's dramedy? It's a comedy drama. Yeah. It's, I mean, comedy, more comedy than drama. Right. I would say 60-40. Nice. But. Well, that's exciting. Um, I want to do observation deck questions with you because you're such a good storyteller. And, uh, and this is your second time on. So. Uh, I don't want to cover the same material I did before, but I'm going to just throw some fun questions at you. This How's that door. sound? Okay. Who's the most famous or memorable person you've been in an elevator with? An elevator? Oh, goodness. Um, if nothing comes to mind, we can skip it and go to something there else. There has to be somebody in an elevator because, I mean, I've just... Oh, Danny Glover. Oh, yes. Danny Glover at at Warner Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Just you were both there randomly? We were both there and lovely. Uh, Yeah. You know, we made out for about... No, I'm kidding. No, he was just lovely. He was... We we talked a little bit. Chit-chat? So that's that's a That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. What's something your family did that you didn't realize was unconventional until you were a grown-up? Well, let's just start <laughs> you like your own career. Start a list. <laughs> I mean, it's in in my in this play that I just written. Uh, when I was a little boy, 
I would just lie all the yeah. time, but, but, but storytelling lies. And right. my dad, who was a good Christian minister, right. he would say, don't tell stories. And my mother's family, they would all say, what else happened, Delford? And so <laughs> I was encouraged just to lie. Right. So there were there were times, and there's still times where I go, I, I, I recently had to call uh, my brother, and I go, okay, you've got to help me. Yeah. remember the truth about this story because right. I have told this story so many times and I know I've added stuff. To right. It. So I guess, you know, that, that I they encouraged lying that it was, it was not that, <laughs> that normal. It's why I, yeah. I became yeah. a writer. Yeah. It's kind of really, um, yeah, we, we have got, sweet we dark ha- hair. I have three, uh, I, yeah, y'all, they've y'all all been pretty good, them, but they're, I've got three long haired chihuahuas yeah. rescues and they're very needy. Um, who was your most impactful teacher? There were two, and okay. I, I have to give them equal credit. Right. I mean, uh, my mother right. was my drama teacher. I love that your mom was the drama teacher. The dr- speech and drama teacher. I love it. So that was, she was the truly, but li- she's my mother, so yeah. let's let's put her yeah. aside. There were two other ones that had a huge influence on right. me. Uh, Mrs. Lane, okay. uh, who was my high school English teacher. Right. And she was the first person who said, you're a writer. Yeah. And then... It happened again. Uh, I had this teacher. Emerson actually had her as well. She was at Baylor for a really long time named Ann Miller. Oh, wow. And she was fabulous. She looked like Ann Bancroft in The Graduate yeah. with those really great skirts and wonderful legs. <laughs> and she could just quote, you know, Wordsworth and right. Burns. And, and I wrote, we had to write some paper. And one day she said, Mr. Shores, I need you to stay after class. Oh my God! What did I do? You know, you're always scared that they're right. It's something bad. Accuse you of plagiarism or yeah. something. And she said, "Have you ever thought of having a career as a writer?" Wow. And I said, "No." And I said, "You know, I want to act. I want to write." Right. Know? And she was like, "You're a writer, honey. Yeah, you are a writer." That's amazing. And then it was like, "You can go now." Yes, I'm done. But I, yeah, but, that's a huge thing to hear something know, like that. Yeah. Um, I. When I first sold my first magazine article to Movie Line Magazine, I had sent it. I'd written this story about auditioning for Madonna as a dancer, and it was a first person. It was funny and, you know, just kind of out there. And I sent it to all these magazines, and um, Ed Margulies at Movie Line liked it and bought it and ran it. And he used to say that he knew that I was a writer before I did. Oh. And to have somebody say you have – it's a very powerful thing mm, for somebody to see something that you don't quite see yourself. Right. I mean, I was always – you know, my, my, Mrs. Lane said, would you – she said, I want you to enter all of the journalism contests, and you don't have to come to any of the practices because you're all uh, – because I was in speech and drama. Yeah. Well, I won many more awards that year in writing. Right. I didn't even try. Right. So, you know what I mean? It yeah. Was just, they it, saw something. It's that law of least effort. Yeah. You know, people, it must be so hard to write. No, it's not. Yeah. It's the easiest thing I do. When you were in high school and, and in the drama club and your mom was the teacher, would it ever get controversial if you got a good part or would everyone say, you know what I mean? Was there any of that? Did you have to, like, underplay that? How did that work? Well, without being... You know, 
too grand. <laughs> but you were the best. I was so fucking good that nobody questioned it. <laughs> right. If you're the best, you're the, the best star of that yeah. high school. What was your high school role where you just was like, that was it. I was Mortimer Brewster in Arsenic and Old Lace. Perhaps you didn't mm. get to see that, but yeah, I, I did not see your yeah, role. You I, didn't I see know, my Mortimer. I, I can yeah. imagine you. Yeah, uh, I'm I, sure. Well, I, I guess that uh, Androcles and Androcles and the Lion oh, was yeah. a, a big one for Title me. character. And I also was, the ha- we did a, a one act called The Happy Scarecrow, and I right. won a lot of awards for being the Scarecrow. That's great, and you were happy. So, yeah. Have you ever stolen anything? Yes. You, you talk about stealing yes. characters all the time. But. Yeah, I, besides characters. Yeah. Um, I was once in linens and things. <laughs> I love any story that starts with I was once in linens and things. They, they went under yeah. because of me. <laughs> because of the end. No help and to you. I bought something and I took it back. And I had the receipt, and they said, oh, I'm sorry, um, it's now on sale, and we can only give you the, uh, you know, a fraction of right. what you paid for it, like yeah. 50%. And yeah. so I, I felt they owed me $9, <laughs> so I just took something. You know how they had all yeah. that shit by yeah. the cash register? But I, yeah, I stole it. Just I was justified. Yeah, you just and wanted this is to when call I'm it like even. an adult and I'm a parent already, probably had a kid in my Right? <laughs> But you know what? It's I right. So you should mad. you should get the money that you spent back. I, like why? It's not yeah. my fault you put it on sale. Right. I know that's bullshit. What's the most provocative image or inscription you've ever worn on a T-shirt? Oh, um, uh, I once was so mad at my agent. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you which one it was, and they had done something that. I felt warranted me wearing this, and I asked for a meeting with all of my agents, and I wore a T-shirt that said "fucked." <laughs> wow, started, that's audacious! Yeah, I said, "This is how I feel." Right. And if you want me to stay, I got to feel like I've been less fucked. fucked. Yeah. Not just fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How did? What did they say? How did the? Oh, they did it go know, your way? Well, they laughed very uncomfortably. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah, then like it, it did. It, it went my way. I stayed yeah. with them for a while. There you go. All right. What's your best random celebrity signing? Uh, oh, um, I was in Saint Tropez. Wow. And, yeah, I was uh, years ago with my friend Sharon Lane and Liam Neeson and N- N- Natasha Richardson and the yeah. children were next to us, and uh, and then oh. This one's even better. Oh, yeah. I was in Swingin' Richards in Miami. That's, I thought there, I went to one in Atlanta. Well, there's, that's the big one. That's the one I love. Yeah, but they had opened. It's one. a strip club, yeah. a male strip club with all, all, yeah. all, all naked, full on. So there's a much classier. I like the one in Atlanta because you yeah. just kind of walk in and smell sweat, right? But this one, so I look over, and this was before he was out. Wow. Ricky Martin with an entourage taking him back to one of the bed back rooms. Wow. We were like, oh, my God, that's Ricky Martin. Ricky Martin at Swingin' Richards. That's Swingin amazing. Wow. Do you think he was getting like a private lap dance or something? Or I don't know. They were taking uh, him to a special area. Like it. it wow. seemed like it. There were some boys that went back there. That's exciting. So, oh, and, I love him. No judgment. Just admiration. Yes, here. I know. I, don't, I didn't. I love him. What movie have you seen more than any other? Tootsie. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, besides my own, where you have to go to a film festival and right. watch it over and over. But Tootsie, I have seen it. So, to, Why do you love it so much? Um, I think it's a perfect film. It is a perfect comedy. Right. Um, Dustin Hoffman's performance is genius. Um, right. There were a few, you know, with this All Me Too, there were a few of my heroes that went down and I did, it broke my heart. Yeah. And uh, Terry Garr, Jessica Lang. Right. Uh, Charles Durning. I mean, Tootsie for me is like Sorted Lives is for a lot of gay men right. who can quote. I can do scenes from Tootsie. Right. Yeah. I love it. What's a voicemail that was left for you that you played more than once? Oh, well, recently, um, I'll play it for you after this. Yeah, well, you can play it on the thing if you want, uh, unless it's I too... probably not. Okay, you don't have to. Olivia, okay. Olivia Newton-John called me the day after my birthday and sang to me and apologized for not calling me on my birthday. That's and even better than calling you on your birthday. I know, because you get so many. And I know. she sang. I will she play She sang. Okay. Yeah, she sang, and then she... Nobody sings like her. Oh, I, I love her so much. And then she said, um, she said, I just wanted to tell you that Métis, she said, 60 is um, the new... And then she just starts laughing. 60. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I was really happy to get the, that to work with her. She's she's been you know she's gone through a yeah a, a hard time. She hasn't been with well. Her health and I knew she was feeling better because she was laughing and Aww. making jokes. That's so nice. What's the biggest lie you ever told in a job interview or an audition? Oh, I, I, I love it when they come right to you. <laughs> so when I, when I, first I knew you would have good stories because you're a good storyteller. Well, I'm a lot good liar too. Yeah, you're a good liar. So I um. I went. I, I did this movie many many years ago. Right. Uh, it was 1987, 86 right. maybe. Uh, called the Quick and the Dead, and not the Sharon Stone one, but yeah. the Kate Capshaw, Tom Conti, and Sam Elliott one. Okay. And I auditioned. I went in audition for the director Robert Day. Yeah. Uh, and you know I was young actor, very hungry, and I had right. gotten this call back, and it was a western. And I, uh, he, they said, he said, very British, Robert J. He goes, yeah. And he said, Dell, I just want to ask you about your, your equestrian skills. Uh, you, you're, you're, yeah. And I go, Robert, <laughs> I'm from Texas. Right. I, I was practically born on a horse. Of course. Yeah. I grew up on a ranch. I yeah. Grew, well, Dennis, I mean, I hadn't ridden a horse <laughs> since I was a kid. <laughs> I, I, so I got the job. Yeah. And I immediately went out to the equestrian center and yeah. took lessons every single day right. before we shot. Well, I got on the set in this wrangler named R.L. Talbert. Isn't it amazing how I'm – Yeah. It's this whole 30. My memory's coming back. Right. R.L. Talbert, he's the wrangler, and he takes us out and to pick horses for us. Right. And he comes over to me, and he said, Dale, you're not a rider, are you? <laughs> and I said – you're going to have to help me. Yeah. And he said, Dale, you look like a monkey fucking a football. <laughs> <laughs> On the horse? That's what he thought you looked like? But he said, I, he said, look, I have a little role, and I hear you. He said, get the table read. You good actor. He goes, if you'll help me, I'll protect you. Wow. And he gave me a 27-year-old horse, and I was fine. Right. You I did fine. Okay. You got how much Wait, riding was there actually once you got there? Every scene was on a horse. Oh shit! I mean, I'm like riding in on a horse. I had to like, we had to hit a mark on a horse. Oh my god! And you pulled it off. <laughs> yes, that's so amazing. I didn't get fired. There you go. All right. I wonder if that's on video somewhere or something. Do it's out. It? Okay. I, mean, I get I 
fans write me and go, I love it. Were you Purdy Mantle in The Quick and the Dead? I'm yeah, your name was Purdy? P U R D Y. So good. Because he was pretty. Yeah, exactly. Pretty boy. Yeah. That's it. I was the outlaw with a heart of gold. That's right. The blonde hair. Okay. If there was a doll of you that talked, what would it say when you pulled the string? Uh, P.S. Fuck you. <laughs> Is that one of your signature <laughs> That's phrases? That's one of my signature Right. Phrases. There you go. Um, have you ever written a fan letter or an email? Uh, every, uh, every, uh, you know, I, I didn't write one at the end of the year last year. I need to write one. I usually write it around this time. I've written many. Right. I, 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 I choose one person every year, and I could go through all the people. I want to, yeah, I'd love to hear. But, uh, no, I, I mean, you know, I, it's just. Uh, Somebody that really made a mark on you that yeah. year that you were inspired uh, by. Margot Martindale. Right. After August Osage came out. Yeah. I, she was on the Millers, and I emailed Bo Bridges, and I said, if I write Margot Martindale a fan letter, will you give it to her? And he said, I'll do better than that. Here's her email address. She talks about wanting to work with you. Right. So I wrote oh. Margo and I told her how brilliant I thought she was. And right. I said, and if you want more adoration, I'll be glad to take you to lunch. Right. She writes me back, honey, I love adoration and I love to eat. Yeah. So did you have lunch with her? We did. We That's amazing. We Daily Grill of course. in Studio City. That's right. And uh, yeah, I've, I've written I, I've written a lot of writers over yeah. the years. You know, uh, Preston, I mean, not Preston Jones, uh, Horton Foote. Nice. I wrote him before he passed away. And many of them wrote me back. That's awesome. So I wrote Ann Richards. Oh, the governor of Texas yes, that was so quippy. That's amazing. Yeah. Why do you think it's important to to tell somebody? Um, look, I read every single fan letter that is sent to me. I also read the hate letters. And I, th- th- sometimes you wake up and you, you, you go, oh, my God. Someone has just, like, written a two-page Facebook message and then they start pouring out their heart to you and how your your work has touched them and meant something yeah help them in their life it's like you know Marsha the the lesbian with COPD she said I got off of antidepressants because of your movie your sorted lives is my what is my whoops she says sort yeah sort I just knocked that's all right uh, sorted lies is my <laughs> Prozac. Wow, <laughs> you know that's so and powerful. So uh, I, I think, it's, and for me, it's just I have heroes, right? And so, um, you know who I'm going to write? I'm going to write Holly Hunter. You should, because after that performance, I've just loved her so much. I yeah. used to watch. I used to get stoned and watch the positively true adventures of the Texas, Texas cheerleader murdering, murdering mom. mom. Yeah, girls. <laughs> I said, I said, like, birth of you. Right. No, it's, it's, the, the, the listener is right there with us. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be, we'll wrap it up soon. But, yeah, Holly Hunter, we, um, one of the actors that performs in the mismatch game, Rachel Butera, she does Rosie O'Donnell, and she was on America's Got Talent as an impersonator. Well, the last time we did it, she just started doing Holly Hunter for no reason, and I'm just feeding her lines from broadcast. I could have done that all night, and then I realized, oh, we have to do the show, but her Holly Hunter was like Oh, she's so good. Amazing. Who was your biggest celebrity crush when you were a teenager? Oh, Olivia. Yeah. You know, uh, ironically, oh, yeah. I, I yeah. always tell Olivia, you kept me straight for two decades. Right. You know. Oh, she's the best. Now, I did, I also had a crush on Donny Osmond and David right. Cassidy. Yeah. So. It was I, sad when we lost David oh. Cassidy. Yeah. What's the worst costume or uniform you've ever had to wear for work? Well, unf- you know, I haven't had the, um, I haven't had the privilege like Leslie Jordan to be in monkey prosthetics, but. Oh, my uh, God. Uh. Well, I guess when I was in in high school, 
we did this one. We did this one play. I can't remember what it was. Where I had to wear all these tights that were very constrictive. Down right there. Yeah. I can't think of anything that's been awful. Yeah. Though. That's awful. all right. Well, oh wait, I did Latrell in Sorted <laughs> Lives for a drag. Sorted Lives. It's a drag. A drag version. That was pretty intense. Yeah. So, what was your you know, outfit? To tuck and try yeah. to tuck and that was a lot. Do all that and Scott Presley, bless his heart. Yeah. He was doing my hair and my nails and. Yeah. makeup and that was, that was i don't really have the drag gene yeah I don't. like you know when you do it and it's like i do it's Me i don't really i've tried it but i don't have the really have the gene i it's like i'm not that into it who's been your most surprising fan oh um dotty rambo the gospel singer Oh wow! She wrote me a fan letter and said she would like to meet me. And I met her in uh, I met her the same day I, were, I met Lily Tomlin. They're, they were friends, and they came to my show in Nashville together. Wow! My show, but uh, when we were touring Southern Baptist Sissies and Sorted Lives, and it was I grew up on her music. Yeah. And for her, you know, that must I, have... I was, it was weird because yeah. you know, I was thinking you're like this Christian icon. Feels like two different worlds. It does. Two different eras. She gave me a very good gift. She said. She said, don't ever underestimate that God gave you the talent to make people laugh. Value it. She said, that is a, she said, that is a ministry. Wow. It is actually. It was, it was, it is what you do. Is it? it, I was so apologetic about, you know. The the language. she 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 would watch Sorted Lives on her tour bus. Yeah. So. That's cool. Willie Nelson is also a Sorted Lives fan. That's amazing. Kind of crazy. Yeah, you just imagine him like lighting up a bowl and yeah, yeah getting stoned and watching it. Um, tell people how they can come and see your new play. Well, for all of everywhere, because I know you go worldwide. With I know. Them, I'm so just, it's just Del- I have tens of tens of listeners the- in different places. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Delshores.com. Right. It'll list everything. Right. And it'll give you all the dates of. But right coming of- right up, you've got. I've got Dallas, Dallas. Uh, Austin, San Antonio, Fort Worth, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, yeah. and then here in L.A. And then here in L.A. We're dry. I'm going to go. I'm going to go see it. I can't wait. Um, last question: You drive a lot of your own work. Like you produce, you you, you hustle, and and you you're, you you barnstorm the tour. You know, you're you're. It's not like somebody comes and says, "Here, mm. go with it." Um, what's great about that? And, and do you ever get like, oh, I wish someone would just call me and say, here's a job. Sometimes, yes. You know, how, how do you keep it going? And what does it mean to you? Because I, I, there's a, a level of admiration for your work and, and the, the characters and the plays and the humor. And then there's just this level of like, he fucking makes it happen. And keeps it going, and I admire that so much. Yeah, after this, because I get it. It's not always easy. It's not, and you know, it, it, it's. Uh, I always tell every opportunity that I have ever had yeah. has come from something that I've actually produced myself. All right. my plays, you know, all the opportunity I got with in TV, it, they all came right. from the plays and me producing those. And so it started very small, and then I realized, okay, well, I want to make Sorted Lives the movie, so I had to raise that money, and that's the least favorite part of what I do. Right. But then the rewards are so great afterwards. So, but I, yeah, you are so, I, if this series goes, I will be so happy for someone just to write me some checks. Right. I don't have to, I right. don't have to go and ask somebody to invest, you know, right. You don't, you don't see dollars. Yeah. Or you have to make sure somebody's name's in the credit cause they donated right. and you know what I mean? Like, but I, you know, I appreciate it and I love the journey every single time. Right. 
So, That's awesome. And I tell I tell actors and I tell artists, you know, there is no excuse for you, you for it not to happen. If you have the talent, we have the resources. Right. We have the look at you. I mean, you created this wonderful podcast that we all get to do i mean yeah we, it's uh, that's self-creation too yeah i get it but sometimes you're like wouldn't it be nice if someone just called yeah. and said here's of a job yeah <laughs> I mean, and, we, and remembering those times when they did yeah no and so. they do they do sometimes actually somebody that listens to this podcast hired me to do that abc thing where i uh uh the where i got to see work just why i saw work see there you go it truly does all right love it um Thank what are your you. are you on twitter and stuff like uh oh, at del shores okay del shores fan club on uh on facebook yeah but if you just put del shores you will find me i'm everywhere there is no reason not to find me you are there uh, i here's one more question i didn't ask you from the observation deck and i think it might be a good ending one if you could relive one day from your childhood what day would you pick my childhood um Okay, I would, I would go back to when it's become a part of my work, this story. But when I was a little boy, I wanted this doll Susie Q for Christmas right. really bad. And I was told I couldn't have it by my dad. I had to have it. He was going to get me a dump truck. Right. That you know, worked. I didn't give a shit about this dump truck. Right. And I remember my Nana, my mother's mother, Minnie Lee, heard this story and she got mad at my dad and nobody fucked with my grandmother right you know and she bought me that doll and i remember that day going over on christmas eve and unwrapping that doll and what it meant to you and my it was just i i got the doll and i and i'm sure that when i unwrapped it my grandmother just stared at my dad right you wish you could see it from the other don't even yeah don't even i mean i love that doll so much i i i combed its hair till it was bald right you know that's so, awesome and, and it would also I w- i'd like to see her because she died when i was three yeah i, re- I have that memory you remember, remember that yeah. you were that young i was three years old when she died but i remember the christmas before she died wow incredible which i, I had just turned three right yeah. and it's a memory tied to identity tied to mm-hmm. sexual orientation mm-hmm. all that stuff you, it was all in there i remember that house where yeah we got that where i got the doll yeah totally Susie Q. I wonder if they have any on eBay. I should look at it. Hey, up. yeah. Fans out there, if you want to come uh, win Dell's um, love after a show, maybe bring a Susie Q doll bring backstage. Bring a Susie Q doll. Yeah, exactly. All right. This has been super fun, Dell. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Yay. Thanks again to Dell Shores. Go see his show. Okay, so this happened. Well, Antonio Sabato Jr. is apparently running for Congress in California, and I had the pleasure of working on working on him working with him on a project called Testosterone. It was a movie directed by David Morton, and I worked on the script with David. Part of it was shot in Argentina. It was sort of a gay, darkly comic, noir thriller. It was really fun to be involved with, and um, I enjoyed it a lot. And Antonio played a gay character in the movie, and now that he's running for Congress, you know, some people on the right wing have unearthed this movie and another gay movie he did called Deadly Skies... And saying, you know, he shouldn't, he's not worthy, he shouldn't run for Congress, and he's got this softcore past. First of all, I love that they call it softcore, because it was like a real movie. It was in the Toronto Film Festival, you know. It's not, we're not in Stormy Daniels territory, although a boy can dream. Anyway, what I wanted to say is that I remember Antonio being really game for all the, you know, 
the gay content and the sexuality and the nudity. He even went the full Monty in one moment, and I think he was kind of okay with it. He, I think he knew that it would it would bring you know eyes to the movie and and get attention, and he was all for it. And what's funny about it is I do have this memory of being with David, the director, after a screening somewhere. I, I think here in town, it was before the movie came out. It was like some kind of a screening, like a, maybe we were looking at it, you know, and still making adjustments or whatever. But he had the film in two um, kind of tin film cans, and he had one in each hand sort of holding it, holding them down by his side like briefcases. And I remember asking him which um, can that Antonio's penis is in, and then he just lowered the right one down to the ground. So that answered that question. Um, anyway, I don't know. I hope the movie doesn't derail Antonio's dreams, but then again, maybe I hope it does, actually. That would actually be more delicious, because... Anyway, I'm, I, I disagree with him on many issues, as, as many of you probably do as well. All right, that's enough. Um, thanks for listening, uh, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.